Then suddenly the phone calls and um, I put the phone to see and said, it's for you because she grew up in Germany. And then I get the phone back and it's title. And he says, I have seen your proposal. I want to make your book. And then he wanted to hang up. I said, hey, hey, ho, uh, what, what, um, what's next move then? He said, call me when you have taken all the pictures. And that took another two years, three years. I'm Peter Holiday, and this is The Land Behind. Join me in conversation with a range of guests, including photographers, musicians and anthropologists, as I venture beyond the visible in search of different ways of framing questions of photography, perception and place. For my 10th episode, I speak to the Danish photographer Joachim Eskildsen about his three-decade-long career and the deep connections he has forged along the way. For almost two hours, we touch on many topics, including Joachim's current show at the Photographie Centre in Copenhagen, as well as his experience making a book with Steidl. We also discuss the meaning of home and consider what the 19th-century Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard can teach us about the nature of beauty. I first saw Joachim's work at his retrospective exhibition named A World I Can Believe In at the National Museum of Photography in Copenhagen eight years ago, so it was an honour to have the opportunity to speak to him one-to-one about his own photographic journey and the threads of meaning which interline his pictures. Joachim's family holds a profound importance to him, defining not only his role as a father, but his identity as a photographer. With this in mind, we talk about how fatherhood has influenced his approach to making pictures. Many of his most recent views have been gathered from the rural German landscape where he currently lives outside Berlin with his partner Sia and their two children. Beginning our conversation by focusing on Joachim's ongoing exhibition at the Photographisk Center in Copenhagen, we explore what it means to photograph one's home. As we traced his path in reverse back to its beginnings, it became clear that Joachim's upbringing in Denmark continues to hold a deep influence over his artistic interests and sensibilities. For Joachim, photography revolves around the craft of bookmaking. As such, he is the author of six photo books, with the seventh one currently in the making. One of the most intriguing segments of our discussion was Joachim's account of his experience working with the world-renowned German publishing house Steidl. Detailing the production of his book, The Roma Journeys, first published by Steidl in 2007, Joachim recounts the vigorous process of what it was like to work with the master printer Gerhard Steidl in bringing the complexities of his visual narratives to life. We also discuss Joachim's formative years as a student in Finland during the mid-1990s. As I did too, Joachim studied his master's in photography in Helsinki at the University of Art and Design, which was already known as Alto University School of Arts, Design and Architecture by the time I started there in 2017. He shares the experience of his encounter with Finnish photographers, including Ritva Kovalainen, Pekka Turinen, Penti Samalati and Jorma Puranen, as he considers the impact these mentors have had on his approach to image making. Whilst Joachim and I grew up speaking two different languages on opposite shores of the North Sea, we share a northern outlook onto the world. As our discussion traversed various geographic contexts, the question of whether Scotland can be considered Scandinavian or not also emerged. If you enjoy listening to my conversation with Joachim, feel free to reach out to the podcast on Instagram at the Land Behind Podcast. I'd be very glad to hear your comments and your criticisms. As I continue to grow this community of voices and perspectives, the plan now is to release each new episode on a Tuesday according to a fortnightly cycle, whenever my life allows. 
As I've said before, these conversations are invitations into places we may not have been before. So if you find value in these discussions and would like to become a part of the journey, consider supporting The Land Behind on Patreon via the link in the description. So, without further ado, my conversation with Joachim Eskildsen now begins. Joachim Eskelson, I've admired your work for a very long time and I, I remember seeing it at the National Museum of Photography in Copenhagen in 2015. So I'm very glad to finally make this conversation happen. And I also appreciate you're a very busy man with a family and a full-time photography practice. So I'm especially grateful for your time this evening. Um, where are you? I'm, I'm, um, I'm here in my home at my, uh, my studio in, uh, in Denmark. No, it's in Germany, but I, I feel like it's, my home is Denmark kind of, no, it's a joke. No, it's here in Germany. And where, where in Germany? Uh, it's outside Berlin. So it's, I, a, it's a it's a small village with 180 people. All right, perfect. So you're living the farming life, the rural agricultural lifestyle. Uh, it, it was a very uh, agricultural uh, village like some one generation ago, but now I most of the people here are having works uh, like in Berlin or Potsdam or bigger, but they are still kind of farming people. They are having kind of a hobby farming or few of them are professional farmers, but changed so it's, there's it's there's a rural attitude there yeah yeah very much it's 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 totally rural and your studio is part of your house yeah it's a big it's a big old house um and there's two uh there's a basement a first floor second floor and a and top floor so it's a big two big house actually um but um it's a nice place. We bought it in 2017, 16, I think. And been it was kind of a ruin. It was a kind of a big, big, um, like, like uh, taking a big, big project on your hands. Like I see it like an art project, mm -hmm. you know, to renovate it, to fix it. Yeah, yeah. But it's a good base. And you've had a lot of projects lately, this summer. Um, as I understand it, yeah. Well, just in a way, two. Um, I've had an. I have. I have two exhibitions. They are still open. I have one exhibition in Polka Gallery in Paris. Um, it's it's a work I took within one week in two thousand eight, and then I have a about a small place in northern Denmark uh, called Skane. It's famous for its um, beaches. Beaches and and for and, its and the paint, painters, painters as well. Yeah, yeah, there was a painting colony in the eighteen hundred eighty and ten twenty years. Uh, there were some very famous painters there. So uh, I made a series of works there within one week. It was kind of um, asked to. It's a long. It's another long talk. But so the the second exhibition I have is in Photographic Center in Copenhagen. And that work is made over 18 years. 
So it's a kind of funny contrast. Um, two exhibitions, one of 18 years and another of one week. Mm. I like both of them, <laughs> but there's kind of different concepts. And so this work um, in Skin, Skin, was yeah. um, was that an homage to the painters? What inspired that project? But it, it, it when I came from um, when I left Finland in uh, when was it? I can't remember. Some two thousand seven or five, man. Seven, I think two thousand seven. Um, when I, we arrived uh, in Denmark, there was a letter uh, asking me if I would like to um, be part of a of a pro- two year project documenting um, different areas of Denmark. And um, this first meeting of that uh, project was supposed to take place in Skåne, and it was like a gift uh, for for a museum that we should all spend one week photographing this place. So it was a kind of start for for um, for like this Danish project. Mm-hmm. But as I was doing this homeworks anyway, I could just use this uh, perfectly to my homework project. I just which gave me a, quite a lot of problems actually because because they uh, they really liked the pictures, but when they found out I took I had taken most of the pictures like around my house, uh, they were very uh, angry because I was supposed to cover a big region. But I said it's all the same. I mean, it doesn't matter. The main point is the pictures uh, express something. Mm-hmm. Do do you think they express something Danish? Not really. Uh, Do you feel like a Danish photographer? Uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, re- you replied in <laughs> you replied in Danish there. <laughs> what? What I mean? You said nay. <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, f- the fact is, I am Danish. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I speak Danish. I live there. I think the longer you are away from your home, the the more uh, Danish you become. I mean. I, I was not very interested in, uh, you know, I've been away since 94, mm. more or less. And you were in Finland? Yeah. Studying um, what would later be incorporated as a school within Alto University, the photography yeah. department at, Al- yeah. at Alto University. It was called something else then, though. Yeah, University of Art and Design at that yeah. time. In Arab- And it was in Arabia when you were studying? Yeah, same, same yeah, place. Yeah. But when I when I started at Alto, it was it was in the final year of being at Arabia, and uh, we then moved to Ottenyemi, where it is now. Ah, okay. Uh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. But um, your current exhibition at Fotografiska or Fotografisk, sorry, Fotografiska is uh, in Stockholm, but yeah. Fotografisk uh, at the Fotografisk Center in Copenhagen. You started photographing this project in 2005, as I understand it. And it was around the time of, of the birth of your first child. Why did you start photographing your home? Well, it, it was, um, it, it had a direct, it was a direct, how to say, consequence of another, of maybe consequence is a good word for, um, Together with Sia, my partner, we made um, with Roma journeys uh, seven or eight years. We traveled to many countries, seven different countries, and spent a lot of time um, 
sleeping at other people's houses and drinking other people's tea and eating other people's food and um, looking at other people's life. And at some point, we uh, we were expecting our child. And that became the turning point of uh, stop stop collecting material and, and producing this work, you know, making the book. So at, at this process of making the books, being at home, editing the pictures, and uh, we were preparing also to have a child, so, sort of. Um, I, 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 in between, uh, looked out and there was some light or some um, color or something in my surroundings that inspired me. And I would just run out or take some pictures and that had happened um, not often, but every now and then. Mm -hmm. And so um, the book came out and um, uh, we had to move to Denmark. We were actually kicked out of this place. Um, and then at that point, this letter was in the mailbox from the scans project about doing this uh, uh, Denmark uh, pictures. And I thought I'm going to make um, a, a sort of my my childhood landscapes because I haven't hadn't been home for many years. And I thought it could be interesting having a little child myself um, and walking around with him uh, in, in these childhood landscapes. But then at the same time, I started to print these pictures I had taken in Finland while I was doing the Roma journeys. And I realized that um, it's somehow like an own an own story, an own identity, these pictures. I can't, didn't really understand what it was. Another coincident made that this house was sold. So we had to move after nine months. And we moved to this other place. And then in this other place, I realized, hey, this is like chapters in a book. So I realized I, I do have some material from Finland, like chapter one from that other place we first moved to in Denmark. And then at chapter three, it became like conscious that I said, hey, I'm, I'm, in, a, I'm in a new project, yeah. you know? And uh, I already at that point called it Homeworks. Uh, this home is the seventh home. Well, that's what I was just going to mention. What's interesting about that project is that it's about home, but it's photographed in seven different places. Yeah, so... I, I, it, it, this was all not very, uh, you know, life comes to you, you know, or, or, so it's, it wasn't, you know, I, that's why I like photography in a way, because you can make a lot of uh, philosophy, a lot of um, uh, thoughts about why is it, what does it mean? But basically it's, um, for me, it, it's, it's, it's this uh, counterpoint between uh, being conscious about something, uh, controlling it. And on the other hand, kind of running after life, which is just throwing you into different situations and you try, you know, try to make the best of it. And I, I always have this idea or I try to make this idea happen that I'm thinking to myself, uh, there's always a key thing you can do, which is the optimal thing to do in this moment that nobody else but me can do. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, nobody could photograph these homeworks pictures except me. Because I'm the only one having access in mm. this way. You know, the same thing with the Roma journeys. I would never ever in my life be able to do this project now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I have two kids. I'm 51. I can't sleep uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a floor for two months. You know, it's like I'm, 
I'm I think I'm I'm too old for that. Yeah, yeah. The circumstances are different. Yeah. So I like to think that you 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 just have to react on life somehow. Mm -hmm. So if these photographs have been taken in in seven different places, seven different homes, what yeah. do you think that reveals about what it means to to find a home and to make a home and to build a home? Yeah, it means it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you've do you feel comfortable enough to to how long well how long did it take you to to name a home to find a home to feel comfortable yeah. with that concept what what does it mean to you each of these homes uh, i mean more or less each of them we there were different situations uh, we, then were there some some uh, uh home, some mushrooms in the house we had to move actually uh, and then we moved to another place uh it was only for one year but actually we would have liked to buy it if it wouldn't be that the price was 10 times higher than they first said it was. And, you know, there's so many things up. You, you just, you know, I don't have huge expectations in one way, yeah, yeah. but I also want to be true to my dreams and true to uh, what I'm, you know, true to your vision in a way. Mm -hmm. And, and a home for me is a big, big part of uh, who you are, mm -hmm. you know, and what you want to be. And so if you live, if I would live in a little small two rooms apartment in a 20th floor in some big town, you know, I mean, I would be, I would be handicapped. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be like, a, I would be like a bird in a cave. You know, I feel like free here and I feel like I'm, I can make a big fire in the garden or I can, I can, I can, I can. I can wash myself naked in the garden because uh, I have an out, outside douche. You know, I, I feel I'm... Shower, yeah. Yeah, shower, yeah. I, I feel, uh, yeah, that that it, this is important. It's not important for everybody. Uh, there, some other people would die in this kind of place. But it's... For me, it's becomes more and more important how things are and how they look. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with the pictures, you know. it's You go for some certain things. Yeah. So how have you always needed a place like that? A place in the country? What, what kind of landscape I, did you grow up in? I I, I grew up in a very, quite nice um, uh, nature area in the middle of this Sealand island. Mm -hmm. And um, the, Is the that place central my, central Denmark. Yeah, yeah. central Denmark. About sixty kilometers from Copenhagen. So it, it was a beautiful, amazing nature area um, from Danish standards, which is all very macro compared to Scotland or other things. But anyhow, it was uh, impress uh, made big impression on me. But the, the house of my parents um, was not really my dream house. It was like this kind of modern parcel. Uh, we call them parcel house, but it's like type house or something like similar kind of houses in the countryside, you know, kind of modern. But my grandmother was living not far from them, like uh, eight kilometers. And, and she had a, a 1700 house with thatch roof and, you know, all the things I loved. And I, I, from my very young childhood, I was in love with this place and with this whole lifestyle. And she, this lifestyle and her way of handling everything, it, it, became for me like a 
I, it was not very conscious. This was only how to say after I grew up, I started to realize that oh, this place was. Um, I loved it as a child, but I didn't make so many thoughts about it. So actually, this place and all this influence. Um, she grew her own potatoes and all the vegetables, and she had this apple, and she made heated her house with fire, and she cooked with fire, and she had a very like today you would say she had a very low uh, uh, footprint, carbon footprint. You know, actually, she was just a traditional old style woman but uh, without any uh, knowledge about this uh, pollution and everything. But this is, I felt it strongly, this is the future. You know, this is no future in my father, for example. He was, he's a per good per he was a good person, he's dead now. But he, he thought everything is about materialism. Mm -hmm. You know, bigger television, the television grew every, every two years or 10, it grew a few centimeters, the car, all, all these things of the modern world, how to earn money, how to buy stuff. And if something breaks, throw it out or, you know, repairing it. You know, so I think these two, my father and my grandmother, they really represent two, like, crashes of, of thinking in, in our time. So, so your grandmother that you're speaking of was your um, father's mother? Mother's. Mother's oh, mother. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. She was from the countryside. Okay. She was from the town. Yeah, yeah. I, good. Uh, everything is is is. Um, they have good people, and everything is good. But it, it's some. Um, at that time when I grew up, it was like people were laughing at this kind of old-fashioned style. And now it's totally different. It's mm -hmm. like almost hipster, hipster style. Was your first photograph of your grandmother? Yeah. Tell us about the that. First the first, uh, I started to take pictures uh, when I was 13 years old, um, almost 14. And um, yeah, I just went up uh, to visit her and I thought that's not a good place to take pictures. And uh, and uh, I photographed her garden, I photographed her. And uh, so it, it became very much, um, how to say, the, the approach that I'm photographing. I'm, I liked her. I liked her house. I liked her vision. I liked what she stands for. Mm -hmm. she, it makes sense. You know, that's the thing I photograph. Did your grandmother have a job? She was pensionist. She was a farmer. All right. Uh, in a way, she, she was always growing her stuff and she was selling eggs and, you know, so that was her job. Mm -hmm. She was a very poor woman, you know, she, you know, poor in money, but... She didn't need him, lack anything. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so in a way, um, you know, there are some artists uh, who who are describing or their their approach is maybe to to work with, uh, that's with with works which are pointing out something which is wrong. You know, the all all what goes wrong. And I think that's very valuable, but it's not, it's up till now at least, it has been mostly something that I I admire, I believe in, or I'm fascinating about, or that I can identify. So this kind of grandmother people, I have then photographed in Iceland, in different places, 
in Portugal, in South every everywhere. I'm wouldn't say I'm looking for that type of people. I am actually looking for this type of people, but but it's 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 as if you have a, a form from a kind of repertoire where you where you can uh, photograph different kind of you know. My brother, he became another person I photographed very much, and um, now I have children and I have partner, and and so it this repertoire of things I feel I understand has grown, mm-hmm. and I can then see it in the world. So do you think all your photographs are in some way drawing from those experiences from your childhood? Well, I think that that's the maybe somehow um, very very kind of base a base of it then of course you 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 studied like with the roma you know i studied all i could read about the roma the issues and the, there's lots of problems things become more complex but the 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 approach and the base is very much you know where it's springing from but then you can of course uh, make obstacles for yourself mm-hmm. which is quite healthy i think you know like this american reality project which, which was actually about an assignment from Time Magazine to photograph poverty in America, which I asked if if it's okay with them that I, I will think of it as a book, my own book. And they mm. said, fine, as long as they can get, use the pictures they want. And it it was a huge uh, challenge for me to, to fo- in a way, photograph. You know, in America, you know, the... Material were bad. The housings were uh, bad. The food was—it it was like poor, not with money, not only with money, but with in every single layer, you know, with culture, with uh, in many ways. But so I had to find some kind of another approach how to find that thing in them which I believe in, or which I think, and I—I I couldn't help thinking about the child in them. You know, that that the circumstances, what happened to us. And somehow in that way, I was able to um, more make it a larger critic, not like the individual critic. So, yeah, for me, it's it's a, uh, I do need a lot of thinking work to, to kind of make some, some kind of mantra or thinking approach into each work, how how to think about it, how to how to line it up, sort of. And then after that, you can be more intuitive. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that homeworks looks and feels um, like the quintessential view of what it means to be at home. But what... There are obviously a lot of challenges as well that one faces when, as they go through life, as they go from being a teenager to an adult and obviously raising a family and sustaining relationships isn't always easy. Is there any way that this project um, reveals the challenges of um, home and what it means to sustain a home yeah I, I i i think that like 
life and a home, having a family, having children, having a partner, and uh, having dreams, being human being, it 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 no matter what you do, it will contain dark sides and mm. good sides. And the dark sides are not necessarily bad sides, you know. And the good sides, the it's it's, it's I would like to reach a point where that is secondary. Mm-hmm. In in one way, in the story I'm telling, like, but you know, many people experience, for example, uh, especially I, I remember a critic in France. They said that this 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 whole homeworks is so dark and so. Um, uh, you know, so for them it was kind of um, scary somehow mm-hmm. in uh, in in many pictures. So I think it it's, it re- it tells a lot about how you look at landscapes, you sure, know, or what what kind you how you have approach things. So it's it's more like um, I think it's more like music in a way. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm thinking of the image. I believe it's your son at the bonfire. Mm. Um, he's sitting on a bench. Um, yeah. And there's also other images of your children in the snow. Um, for me, it feels like you've, you, you're very much at peace with, with things. Even if there is a dark side implicit to some of them, and even if people, curators and critics might read that within them, it, there's a, there's a peace, um, they seem but very that, they seem like quiet observations about what it means to to find a home and sustain a family and I wonder if as you grow older and if you feel like um continuing this project whether or not you'll begin to think more about um the end of things um me uh, you mean the end of this project or end of life or just the the cycle mortality yes. life yeah because so much yeah, it's, it, there's it, a lot of photographs of of your children and um, in there and of it, of it, the of the of the place which you've which you've found and you've built and you and you're sustaining and obviously mm. you're in your sh- studio at the moment that's, so that's uh, evident of the fact that what you've got to lose but you know, um, yeah. Do you think that as you grow older, you'll these this series will, if you continue it, or yeah. as you continue with other projects too, you might it might start to creep up on thoughts about death and mortality and these. Yeah, sh- sure, yeah. sure. Because it's like, the, the, I mean, life is life and death. It's like all. Uh, and the, the whole, this whole, um, I mean, when I started this um, homeworks, I didn't, it, after some time, it became like um, this, more about the seasons, you know, summer, winter, fall, and all these seasons turning around. And then, then um, at, at one point, my son actually went, he didn't want to go out of the picture and I tried to get him out of the picture and I, I then I, I th- thought two times and I said okay yeah he could be in the picture but it was like an obstacle in me I said I'm never in my life going to be like my children photograph of my own children that's but then I, I realized this was the most interesting picture on that contact sheet so 
I began to photograph him and uh, and my other child. Um, and now they are as my son is as big as me. So it, it's it's also a little bit hurtful sometimes to think like, my God, we're getting older. I mean, I I see it with the children. I see the seasons. And in a in a funny way, with such a project over so long time, and um, it's in a way the same eye and the same approach. You you somehow um, it, it's for me also a bit crazy. I don't exactly know what exactly I'm I'm aiming at, or I'm I'm I I I'm not sure I understand this work. Also, really, uh, that's also maybe why I continue to do it. Um, but there is something about um, something so beautiful about this this circle and this life circle, and um, and also about this uh, dreaming or feeling this um, form from at, as you said at peace, because life is not at all at peace. Life is like um, standing with the car in a line going to the town, and Oculus life is full of awful things. Mm -hmm. It's full of idiotic bad things that which is you just prefer not to know exist and and has happened. But truth is, this is the majority of life. So for me, this is like a little bit um, a creation of. I wouldn't say like it's some kind of world I I I need. Mm -hmm. It's like a harmony for my soul or. You spoke about the skin painters a short while ago. Mm. And these themes of, of the cycle of life are also prevalent in, in many of those works. And I'm thinking of Michael Anker. And he, mm. he painted those scenes of the fishermen coming in mm. from sea. And in one painting, um, it shows a fisherman who's drowned um, and his... Uh, Colleagues and friends are bringing him ashore, um, if I remember correctly. And um, he, the Skane painters clearly drew from drew their paintings from real life experiences and real life observations. And so, I wonder if that's <laughs> there's something of the Danish mentality in that too, of you, you you're looking for the for the beautiful. Um, but you can only recognize it if you appreciate that life isn't always so. And uh, Kierkegaard also has a quote, uh, which I think is relevant to bring up, if I can just just give me a second to find it, um, about, about what it means to be a poet. And uh, the quote is, I found it here, the, the quote from Surin, or Søren Kierkegaard. Søren. Is it, how's my pronunciation? Søren Kierkegaard. Søren Kierkegaard. But, but this was very good. Yeah. Almost. Don't say the D. But Kierkegaard says, uh, a poet is an unhappy being whose heart is torn by secret sufferings, but whose lips are so strangely formed that when the sighs and the cries escape them, they sound like beautiful music. So, oh yeah, that's nice. Yes, I, I identify. I identify. So perhaps there's very much something of the Danish mentality within your pictures. 
I don't know if it's anything to do with Denmark, but uh, he he was Danish, and but it was a but interesting observation. But I I, I think it's true that um, that you you um, I think I sometimes have a crazy little theory that people who make very ugly and harsh harsh pictures and you know really depressing and showing all the most awful things we can imagine in the world in a very fantastic good way but uh you know i have a feeling they 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 must be very in balance with themselves yeah. on the other hand if you're uh, uh, like kierkegaard says um there are beautiful words coming out of your traumatized uh, soul mm-hmm. you know uh, there may, may be a connection uh, I I am um, I I am uh, I have experienced many funny things and it's not my life is not a, a harmony uh, story, fairy tale, but my pictures is I wouldn't say it's a fairy tale but it's a it's a longing it's a it's a, it's a it's a place um, that brings me strength and believe and it's 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 I wouldn't say it's a, it's hard to describe somehow. But it's not coming out of a wish of of being um, so over realistic. But they it's are an, they are very existential observations, though. Um, they're immediate to you. They're not abstract. They're no. You're taking pictures. Um, I don't know how you would describe it. How how would you describe your style? I'm just a very basic uh, photographer, not doing anything fancy things. Would you be happy with the distinction of documentary or? How 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 do you feel about that word? Yeah, oh, outdoor. I like that. Some some somebody told me, uh, like a film film maker Ingmar Bergman, for example. He said he's an outdoor filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Outdoor. That's this expression of outdoor. Mm-hmm. Like it's a French, French word. Yeah, yeah, it's a French word, outdoor. Um, and it's it's like a, I don't know how it's uh, translated, but I when I heard that many years ago, I thought that's that's. That suits me because it's a you know documentary is like doesn't say very much. You're just documenting something, but it's uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody can document whatever. It's like, but an auteur means that you are. Um, it's coming from you. You're creating something, and it's your responsibility, and it's it's your thoughts, yeah, and yeah. it's your creation. How you did it, it's not so interesting. Yeah, yeah, because. There's not really any. There's no no such thing as true documentary, is there? If we mean documentary to mean purely documentary, is just, no. it's just like a, a a saying that something in front of your camera was the real thing, and you, it's it's uh, leaning into a tradition of of certain kind of uh, history of how to photograph, but it's so blurred, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. it's such an unclear. And so uh, many but, documentaries are, um, whether they're films or photographic series there's there's a narrative documentaries are never fly on the wall expressions they they involve narrative and editing and you know it can take years to to have a final series and well evidently with your work as well i mean you started homeworks in 2005 and um the roma journeys if i remember correctly took seven years um or something like that and so you know, these are well, and you worked on the Roma journeys as well with a, with a journalist. 
I believe. No, no, my writer. partner. Oh, your partner. Yeah. yeah. And and she wrote the text, or she. Ha- yeah. What, what, yeah. what was her role in the project? Oh, she's without her, I couldn't do anything, uh, because she's um, she speaks uh, many many languages. She's very very smart, and um, and uh, you know I I only speak a few languages, and um, you know as a couple. You come, you come to a place and you sleep one month with somebody yeah, in, yeah. This house, in the house. You know, if I'm a lonely man, or she would be a lonely woman. You know, but as a as a couple, it's the most uh, how to say harmless uh, constellation, constellation you could uh, approach people with. And um, uh, yeah, so we did ev- the, everything uh, together. And what was that like? fantastic for some that for some couples i can imagine that that would drive both both individuals crazy well i mean of course we had huge uh breakdowns uh all kind of stuff you know but um but that's normal i would say so it's a uh, um in in general it was an adventure it was a we were like obsessed with this idea yeah, and yeah. uh we um we're a very good team, you know, where the other one doesn't, where the other one can't go, the other one can go. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, uh, also practically for me, for example, Sia might go into some ladies, sit and talk about different things. I, I have no big plans about photographing something or I have plans to photograph something, but I, I'm not sure what. And um, sitting there hanging out and I'm just like a fly on the wall. Suddenly, somebody comes in, and I'm able to to take pictures, you know, in a way that I, I, I you know, if we, if it wouldn't be like this, I couldn't do it. On the other hand, uh, for for Sia, it's also, you know, I photograph something, and then she comes, you know, it's it's we're winning, you know, both of us by the situation. So mm-hmm. it's it's um, it was it's a it was a very good thing. So you provide an enormous amount of support for one another during the project and in li- in life in general. Yeah. yeah. And what what was the, where did the Roma's Roma journeys begin then? Or how it began? Or yeah. Well, what was the inspiration oh. for it? Um, why did oh, you decide to focus on because on the particular um, subject matter? We keep on going backwards, but uh, we we were making. Um, uh, a chicken moon the chicken moon book it was um it was in 97 we were fin- we were finishing a po- a portuguese book then uh which was my final work for the university for the art school then the nordic ministers uh had some kind of um, exchange program with south africa they wanted to send it was four years after apartheid so they wanted to send um uh, Nordic artists there and, and South African artists up to the north. So I was asked to go and teach uh, black and white printing in Soweto, in a township there. And um, Sia was also with me. We had an idea. We met some a guy there. And I, we had a, we had a vision. We could make a book there about two villages uh, who are becoming electricity. It was before they are having electricity. So we came back. We I went to these Nordic ministers and asked them if they will support us uh, to make a book. We will need three months there 
So they said, good, we give you some tickets and some little bit of food money. It was not much. Anyway, we went back, stayed there three months, and we learned a lot about color skin, um, you know, apartheid systems, racism. I felt we were very innocent and, you know, Scandinavians, you know, a welfare system and, you know, everything is so naive. And they, we were not exposed to the big chaos of the world, all the injustice and, uh, you know, our little island up there in the north who had a little bit of democracy and so but it was not the dominating feeling out there in the big world so when we came back from that south african work uh, and, and from south Africa, we had a friend in hungary sultan popovic's uh, jewelry um he told that they had us um he had somebody who cleans for for him um and she is a roma and there's a street outside their village, outside some other villages, not exactly their village, where there's Roma. And then, meanwhile, when we were finishing this book, we started a little bit interesting us for this second-class European. You know, like also in, in Europe, we have a second-class citizens at that time. Of course, now we have many second-class, third, fourth-class with uh, all kind of people. But... They have been second-class citizens for 500 years at least. And um, so I went actually there in the beginning um, and spent um, a few weeks with uh, this Magda. I asked her if I may stay in her very simple house. And um, when we came, when I came back, Sia had also come back and we started to... Um, actually, we were listening to the Roma music. It made a huge impression on us. I mean, this 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 hit my heart, and I would say, if it wasn't if it wasn't for this music, I wouldn't have done it. It simply touched me so much, and then I realized that this is something we can do. And every time we gave up on this project, we listened to this music, we cried, and we thought that no, 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 we ha we have to make it. Yeah. So it 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 was a political. Um, it was we were interested to understand this thing and and then this was Hungarian. and actually we we were a little bit inspired by Jim Jarry's movie Night on Earth Taxi Driver have you seen that it, it I mean the, the the structure the form the idea uh, the, our things totally different but the structure to to go very detailed into two streets of Hungary mm -hmm. and then to go very detailed into some other place. Like then we went five months to Romania. Then we went to India five months. Then we went different places, and so it, like going into um, because telling everything about the Roma is impossible. Yeah, yeah. So, so this was kind of the form we were structurally thinking. Mm -hmm. What kind of criticisms did you receive? We've spoken about this before. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, tell us, what were the challenges of that project? There's this political awareness about how things should be done, you know. It's, it's like, is the outsider view valid to tell, you know, about Roma? It's So, for example, I had an exhibition with the Roma pictures in, in the Roma Centrum in Berlin. And it was supposed to be like a solo exhibition. But then... Um, because of political reasons, a bit, like there had to be a Roma there too. So I think I think that's 
that's very it's it's tricky it's kind of valid it's also kind of uh it's also it's 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 i understand it's complex it depends on what is your agenda if your agenda is like the free art free way then i think that then then let's just look at the the work but but that's a kind of different issue we were not criticized directly like that but um I think there are, there are many ways you can look at this. There's, if you see it from the um, activist, the activist uh, side, mm -hmm. their criticism uh, would be, why are they all confirming the stereotype? Mm -hmm. uh, where are the airplane captain? Where are the lawyer? Where's the Roma lawyer? Where where's the pol Roma politician? Where's the where's the bus driver? You know, where's the, you know, all these people who are, you know, so our aim was not to focus on the so-called um, invisible Roma. Our aim was to focus on the visible Roma. There's a pro approximately 12 million Roma in Europe, at least at that time, uh, maybe more now. And half of them is, you know, fully integrated. It could be you or me, you know, uh, the they are Roma, they might speak Romanes at home. So so that they would criticize uh, uh, this kind of things. So um, many, many other Roma would say, uh, thank you, you have seen our soul, you have seen us like kings and queens. Mm -hmm. You didn't see our poverty. You gave us the right to be seen for who we are despite that we are poor. Mm -hmm. You have photographed us. The, you have photographed without taking justice on the circumstances we are in. Mm -hmm. They were very grateful. You know, there's also that point that even because, despite you are poor, you still have the right to be seen as a human being, uh, not only uh, being seen as your circumstances, that uh, intensify what you are. You know, you are more than your circumstances. Mm -hmm. You are you. And you were taking an interest and you were, you know, photography is, um, it's a way to, the, the style that I think both of us are interested in is, it's a way to, to contemplate and to learn from existence, uh, an existence that we share with other people. And, and as you say, Europe, um, they they are they're European citizens. They're they are very much a uh, a part of European culture, the wider European culture. If a forgotten part, perhaps. Um, but what you're trying to do is that you're you're trying to, as you say, you're trying to raise them up and give them a they, give them a, a, a yeah. give them a give their face a name within wider European society. Yeah, the, the Roma people in general know everything about Gachi. We, we are Gachi, non-Roma. But non Gachi knows very little about Roma. So, uh, so it's like um, they know all about our ways and habits and customers and whatever, but we know basically nothing. Only the stereotypes. And there's, there's two stereotypes. There's the parasite 
idea that they're parasite on society, sucking blood and energy out of the society. And then there's the um, the vision of freedom, the symbol of uh, the the dancing, singing, loving. Both are both are wrong. So so it's like um, we we just wanted to we wanted to make a true, honest, heartful. A depth in depth uh, uh, work about the Roma because let's say with the Jewish people in the in a library you can you can find meters and meters and meters and meters of of witnesses different witness of different quality of different ways but for the Roma there's very few witness things be it from Roma or non Roma. You know, as long as it's done with the heart, that's kind of my criteria. If you're doing something stupidly, you know, uh, with a false intention, of course, who are who is who is who who's who to put the intention? But the so for our aim with this work was um, basically to tell and to show and to learn. You know, the Roma journeys was more focusing on us. You know, our Roma journeys. Because most Roma are not uh, traveling, so so um, yeah. So so it, it's like a gold mine. The Roma are a gold mine in the in the Europe. They are true Europeans. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have been living here since the 13th century. I mean, if they are not true European, uh, um, the definition of European is a culture within a culture, kind of. Mm-hmm. With these ethical problems in mind, how did you approach the individuals which feature in these photographs? We basically lived with them for quite a while, you know, some three weeks, a month. You know, I always make a little sketchbooks I can have in my pocket. So we just went up to them, you know, say a village in northern Romania, see an eye alone, no contacts. Go ahead. We see their Roma, and we say hello uh, to some children, and uh, they ask who we are, and they, are, you know, they maybe could be not friendly. Then I show them my book. I say, ah, Roma, and then she spoke a bit Romanes, and and then they want to have the book and say, you can have it. Just bring it back when you're finished. They run away with the book. So we walk into the village. And before we enter the village, people are shouting at us, come in, have coffee. Where are these pictures from? And then they said, where are they? Is it from Greece? I said, why do they do this? And then we, we explained, ah, that it's something like they do this and this. Ah, we do the same, but not anymore. It's like this and this here. And then India, why? And then, so actually very fast, um, the situation changed. They want something from us. Mm-hmm. And then, then, um, then we ask if, if if we find the place interesting because we didn't choose any place. We had to; it had some had to appeal to us somehow. So then we ask if we could stay somewhere there. So in these seven years, we didn't stay one single night in hotel. And so they're incredibly welcoming. Yeah, that's maybe not the right word. Uh, actually, they're not very welcoming, but uh, you have to do some work. You have to, yeah, you know, so you have it to, takes time. You have to build trust. Yeah, it's not so easy. Uh, you have to a little. They're not 
stupid. They can see who you are. Yeah, yeah. They say they they realize is this a bad guy or a good guy or or well. But did you did you get pushback from some of these individuals? Uh, yeah, we did experience uh, problems sometimes. You know, it's like uh, just like any any other culture. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, I, I would say surprisingly little in what we expect, but sometimes. But in, in general, we always said like you can't see you can't see it on this podcast. But I'm now pointing uh, that they have a heart which is uh, bigger bigger than me. Um, but the, the Gachi had, has a very small heart. As they, it is true. As we 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 were fascinated about them. We were. I admire that you know uh, that when you grow up somewhere uh, in this in general everything is becoming Americanized. That is somehow similar. Culture disappears. Animals disappears. Traditions disappears. You know, it becomes more and more monotyped every, everywhere on every single level. You know, yeah, and yeah. and the Roma culture is like an explosion of variety and of of uh, inspiration of different cultures. You know, they flamingo. I could tell hours about all this stuff. Um, it's too much, maybe now, but um, it's, they, they there's so many um, there's so many. Um, in interesting aspects. I lost my uh, my point here. The the light went. I have a light that failed them over. Yeah, there's um. Well, when we spoke before, you spoke about how this I project. Put the light on. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in Scotland at the moment, yeah. and you're in Germany. Yeah. And so the sun. Yeah, you still have is light. Still, <laughs> it's still um above the horizon here. It's um. Just past eight o'clock here, but that that the Roma journeys that was actually the work that I saw. I remember it from the museum, museum, the National Museum of Photography, at the Black Diamond in Copenhagen, um, at their retrospective show. Um, yeah. And if I remember, you I mean, you're also a bookmaker, and from that show, I remember in the glass, there were glass tables with your books underneath as well. Yeah. Um, was it was it Pente Samalati that taught you how to make books? Well, uh, he had, uh, he um, it was actually uh, Ritva Kovalain who who had an I don't know if you know her she's uh, also Finnish photographer and um, she's she's married to Pekka Turunen. Oh yeah, and, I've, um, I've I've photographed Pekka Turunen. Yeah. Ah okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has the. So, this great project called Against the Wall. Yeah, yeah, I have that book. A anyway, she was having this uh, workshop, uh, like a weekend workshop in '93 in Denmark, and she showed uh, Finnish books from Finland, and there were also books from Petri Samalati and Jorma Pura and Timo Kilerant, and, and all different kind of Finnish photographers. And I, I fell in love with this Finnish photography, and I thought, you know, I have to go and study there, which I did. But so there I then learned when arriving that uh, Pentisamalati, who created this Opus series, 
it's a, it's the idea of this opus theory was that they would have a lab at the like a study place at that art school where they would think like the the photographer is not just the photographer the photographer is 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 choosing the paper for the book the design the typography and like the the whole thing around it and those people who does this stuff all around it they can be part of his opus series. I think it's opus 70 or 100 now. And um, at that point, he just finished teaching when I arrived. So uh, Jürgen Parantin was uh, taking over this uh, printing lab. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately... Another, another talented photographer. Yeah. Unfortunately, he actually had very little experience uh, doing that uh, <laughs> offset printing he he knew kind of but in a, i was thinking to make this nordic science book which was kind of an ambitious book to make in four color uh, four quadrature black and white and um so he was exactly looking for such a project and he he I couldn't come in. I don't didn't have gymnasium, and uh, I I couldn't just come in from the street. So he said, "You can be a ghost student for one year. He will teach me. Actually, Pentisamala will teach him and me together." So we went privately home to Pentisamala. I was not even a real student of the school, but we were kind of using the school. And uh, so so that's the way I I came in contact with Ben Sama. So he was overlooking my prints sometimes, checking. Uh, and I remember I made the whole series of prints once, and he, he came and said, no, they're too contrasty and too whatever, the different things. He's a very good printer. I'm also a good printer, but I I learned a little bit there, I think. He he, he was good. And... Um, and he was overlooking the films. The the he was kind of overlooking the project. So, um, you know, once I got that idea that he showed the way, I there was no no returning. So whatever I've done since then, it's always been more or less. You know, the natural the natural endpoint of a project is a book for me. Uh, exhibitions are already always secondary. They're more like. They're not so, they're important, but I mean, the print is important, but the book is the real thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you still keep in touch with Penti Samalati? Yeah, a little bit, uh, not so much, but Christopher Albrecht is uh, his good friend. And um, I'm now and then in touch with him when he's in touch with Penti. But I meet him now and then when I'm in Finland, but I'm not so often. The Roma Journeys was uh, published by Steidel. Yeah. And I think you've had other books published by them. Your first book, was it Nordic Signs? That was self-published. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever thought about um, setting up your own publishing house? I'm I'm a very un- unorganized, as in some way I'm not, you know... Um, I have been thinking about it actually. I know how you could do this, produce these books, uh, and uh, but the, the, it's complicated. So with the distribution and, but it's also complicated to wait for a publisher. Like I love Steidl. I think he's the greatest. Uh, he's really nice, but he's so busy, and he's so uh, inaccessible. And 
and uh, so it's like there's a lot of waiting. You're out of control, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's very frustrating. How did you meet Steidel? It was actually um, a kind of uh, a circle uh, lock um, because there was a group exhibition in in the cable factory in Finland. Yeah, yeah. And there were um, some German creators there. And um, one of them was Ute Eskilsen from Museum Folkwang. And she's called Eskilsen, like me. So I was like a little bit standing there thinking, oh, what to do with these people? And um, and then I understood that this one was Eskilsen. So I went over to her and and talked and said, ah, we, I'm also Eskilsen. So um, then we spent most of the time talking about our names. And then um, it suddenly struck me that that we, we could not do this um, rumor journeys uh, self-published because it's 416 pages and it's very, um, I mean, I, I just knew that that would be too much to do. Yeah. So I, I th- thought maybe she knows. It was just like, you know, out of the blue. I thought, I, I said, hey, by the way, you are in you are in Europe, and uh, which style, which publisher would be the proper one for this Roma journeys? And and she said style, and um, I said really, I never heard about it, and I I, did, I didn't hear, I didn't knew it at that time. I said good, I will look at it, but uh, what shall I do? I said you you sent some examples or something to her to Ute Eskens. And um, I did that, uh, and I didn't hear anything like, but I think it was half a year maybe. Then suddenly the phone calls, and um, Steidel, um, somebody speaking German, I put the phone to see, and said, it's for you, because she grew up in Germany. And then I get the phone back, and it's Steidel. And he says, I have seen your proposal. We want, I want to make your book. And then he wanted to hang up. I said, hey, hey, ho, uh, what, what, um, what's next move then? I said, call me, call me when you have taken all the pictures. And that took another two years, three years. After that, I, I decided, okay, now it's done. I no more pictures. Now I will start printing them all. And so I called him. And said the pictures are done, and I've, I'm working. The layout is quite far. So what shall I do now? I said, call me when the layout is ready. So it took maybe one year more. Then I said, it's it's almost ready, the layout. I said, good, call me when it's ready. And then it took another half a year. And I said, now it's ready. Good, just wait. And then he hang up. Then maybe another half a year. He called and said, no, he, so his secretary wrote and said, like, I think it was Friday. Can you come Monday to Göttingen? So I bought a ticket. And then they said Saturday, can you come Sunday to Hamburg? Because Günther Grass would like to meet you. Yeah. I said, I said, I have have Günther Grass. Oh, there it is. I have have his his last collection of uh, poetry. Here. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's published with uh, this Tyler's book. Is it? Yeah. He published all his books. Must be him. Um, let me just see. Kentucky. 
No, this one's uh, published by Peng Penguin Random House. No, wait. Text copyright Steidel Verlag. Yeah, but uh, it's ah, it's it's exhausted or whatever. But he's probably printed and produced it. But yeah, anyway, Gunter Grass. That I mean, he's one. Of, he's he was uh, he's one of Germany's most famous modern writers Writer. and poets. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I changed the ticket, took to Hamburg. A driver came after I've been looking, standing there. He, he drove with 220 kilometers an hour uh, to Kölzergas. And I said, please, could you drive a bit, bit slower? Because it's too fast for me. But uh, no, he was in a hurry. And um, so then I arrived, went up to a, like a, 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 some waiting room. And he says, just wait till they come. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, Gerhard Steidl come in. This was the first time I meet him. And he takes, he says, please follow me. So sit down. Günther Grass is coming now. And he wants to hear everything about your Roma project. So I was telling maybe two or three hours to Günther Grass and Steidl. But it's, he's very effective in no small talk. Steidl. That's, yeah. So he, and he, was he wearing the, the white coat when you met no, him? No, 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 no. This was in Lübeck. So what kind of relationship do you have with Steidl? Strictly working or would you consider him a friend? Or No, no I mean, he, he is, he's very friendly kind of to me, but he's, uh, he's not a friend to any artist, I think. He's, uh, he's very professional. He just doesn't want to be friends, you know, mm-hmm. like this. It's and not he just that loves bookmaking. Yeah, he's a very obsessed person and very focused. He's very, uh, uh, yeah, very special person. Works very focused. You know, doesn't listen to radio, doesn't watch his phone, doesn't have. He's he's just doing his work. Where did he you learn know? how to do it? Yeah, he he was a he was a master printer for Ansel Kiefer, I think, in sixties, and uh, he 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 learned it by himself in a he bought a machine and had it in a garage and. He's a really good printer. Who does the binding? He he, he has two or three places where they do it in Germany. So he he's more focused on the printing. Yeah, 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 and paper, paper quality and yeah, paper, paper stock. He loves, but yeah, 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 paper, 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 paper. Yeah. Talk us through what that process is like um, when you choose choosing the paper. Um, what what does what does that process mean to you? How much time do you spend thinking about that? Oh, it's like it's like the fundament of a house. You know, um, I'm making a Cuba book now with him. I was just three uh, three or four weeks there. Three or four weeks ago, I was there, and and have signed it off. It's finally finished, mm-hmm. so it's ready to be printed. And I wanted to have a special paper which is a little bit yellow uh, and. He said, "Told me it's they are all um, they are closed. They had to close. They are not existing." And now I've been researching a lot and found one Italian paper company who has something similar and and send it to her. So I I think the paper is really important. But unfortunately, many companies are closing now. Mm-hmm. And the papers I like the most are, are the small ones. And what kind of paper? Do you typically? It's coded. Use? It's it's coded paper. It's um. This the, my favorite paper is called Sanctuary X Motion, but it doesn't exist anymore. All right. It was actually a paper he developed, style with a little 
this this little paper company. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a unbelievable, beautiful, and it's the Roma journeys is printed on that. It's it's coded, but it it looks like uncoded. It's a little bit warm, like an old battery. Uh, like it's the it, it's very bulky, like airy. It's not so hard and thin. Mm-hmm. And it it has a beautiful way of sucking the ink in. What's the brand? It's ex, uh, Schleifen. Schleifen is the company. I can't say it probably. Schleifen. Schleifen. It's it's written in the uh, Roma journeys. Your first book, Nordic Signs, that was self-published. Um, and it's uh, printed in black and white, if if I understand yeah. it correctly. What was what was what was the inspiration behind this this book? And this uh, that, this that, was this was in the early nineties. Yeah, that, that's uh, how to say. That's the first book I didn't have the idea of making a book. So it's these. This is a collection of my first pictures, which is kind of um, uh, I mean, it's it's a kind of um, one big like expressive, exp, uh, like uh, how would I say? It has all this kind of emotions and dreams. It's very uh, heavy on this. Um, you know, um, there's all the things I love, you know, the grand, the old man, there's the picture of a boy, um, there's a, there's some, a little house in the big Lofoten landscape, there's some very grainy volcanic stuff from Iceland, and there's, there's, it's, when I see it now, in a way, I, I think that it's very expressive, uh, very, uh, like, hockey or some, I I didn't I didn't do any of these pictures uh, with any knowledge of anything in a way, it's pure intuition, and I I didn't have any plan, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. it was all edited and thinking without really knowing anything. As the name implies, it's a book or a work about the Nordic landscape. Yeah. The the. the it's, it's 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 you know it's playing with this idea that um, you know I see a sign there's there's a sign of something it's it's like something you can't really see you can't touch it but you can you can sense it you know so many of these pictures are something I sense mm-hmm. you can't feel it it's not really there but it's there and um, it's like a dream it's not dream it's reality it's it's so it's very much about the thing i love about photography that you 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 can dream you can wish it's like a farmer who puts seeds in the air and then at some point it it comes and a, a little bit like this it's like it, there are some signs and, and suddenly these signs are reality in in some funny way so it's a collection of such seeds that has become pictures and, and that's how I, um, in a way, uh, you know, it's it's hard to describe what is this. It's very rough landscape. It's very dark. It's very grainy. It's very imperfect. It's a lot of emotions when I see it from outside now. Um, it's it's uh, it's 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 surprisingly dark but it's also surprisingly beautiful to me when i see it now 
Well, you include the uh, pictures from Iceland, Norway, uh, Greenland, Denmark, and Sweden. And as a Scot, uh, I'm curious as to why you included landscapes of Scotland in this project, seeing as Scotland isn't traditionally defined as a as a Nordic country. No, I mean I'm a little bit anarchist, you know. If if uh, you know who is is it Namjok Pike to say uh, this is art because I say so. So you know. Um, it feels like Scandinavia, you know? Mm-hmm. So why not? It's my book. I was there, I liked it. Yeah, and it's yeah. Scandinavia, you know? I mean, I can do what I want. Yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah, both... So it, 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 it feels, I mean, it's just a border. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody made that idea, but it, they could just as well have included it. Yeah. I mean, it is very much... The history of Scotland is very much influenced by uh, the, what has gone on in the Nordic countries... Uh, with the Vikings, yeah. uh, etc., and uh, the Danish King Canute as well. He used to be mm. um, a, a lot large parts of the British Isles used to be under control of of the Dane Danes, the Dane Law, I think it used to be called. Uh-huh. Um, this was a thousand years ago or so, but uh, yeah, I just I just found it interesting because obviously Scotland during the past few years, at least. Um, has been questioning what kind of country it wants to be, where it wants to go, how it wants to define itself. And there are many questions uh, within Scottish culture. Um, how Scandinavian is is this place, is this landscape? And clearly, um, geographically, geologically, um, environmentally, climatically, it's, I can see, signs of the Nordic culture within my home country. And of course, we, we were both born on opposite sides of the North Sea. So in a sense, the, the North Sea is what unites this this environment, um, mm. this sea which people have travelled over um, yeah. for centuries. I, th- um, I found the outer, I was at the Outer Hebrides and Orkney and the highlands up there and Glasgow, I, I find it fantastic. I, I really loved it. Mm-hmm. I was bicycling there for two months. On your own? Yeah. I was hunting, uh, like searching for images. Like uh, very, I was searching for something, but I didn't exact know what I was searching for before I see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so you're looking for something. You can, you yes, you can say, I look for mountain or I, I look for some water but I mean basically you don't know what you're looking for but you can try to put yourself in such places where you think you might find them and 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 that's what I did so so I mean that's still what I do actually but at that time I, I really didn't have any clue to what will happen to this work I had no vision in a, in a way I had no you know that's why it was so attractive to me when I saw this uh, Ritva Kovlein's um, Finnish uh, books because I, I suddenly I had like a longing. I, how, how can I be, uh, keep on collecting images, collecting images, and for 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 what in a way? And when I saw the book, I realized that yes, of course, that makes so much sense. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's also a way of developing. You have to make a finishing. You have to make a statement. You, you know, you can keep on collecting. It's kind of nice and not so, uh, you know, well, how to say demanding in one way. Because once you, once you are creating a, a final statement, like a kind of, like a, a record of music or what you would say, you, you find, you get the final touch, you get the final feeling, you get the final paper and the, the, the time and you have to make decisions, you know, what, what's in, what's out. And so for me, this was a good development that I made that uh, discovery. And then I finished photographing this kind of pictures, made the book and then I moved on. Mm-hmm. And you've said before that your approach is, is well you've said that you are a hunter but you are also a monk um what what do you mean by that oh yeah it's a bit uh maybe a funny way of expressing it but you you could imagine uh being at home now 18 years i've not just been home but in generally uh, photographing uh, at home and it's it, this photographing at home sounds like I'm going around and photographing all the time. It's, it's I very, very seldom see those pictures. So they are coming to me. So when I'm, when I'm in, in a situation, there's a certain, certain situation, certain something happening. I, I act, I, I feel like you're, you're getting, that's the monk, the things comes to you kind of. And the hunter is the, like when you are waking up and, going out early morning and you're going out the whole day and you're searching something specific mm-hmm. and and you you come home late you know in this monk style it's more like you you have you have an everyday life you have to make food packages for the children and you have to shopping and you have to make some a, a invoice or some uh clean wash the floor or whatever you have to do or fix some garden stuff or chop some wood or that, you know, but in between there might be a picture. Well, you may say that that's describing yourself as both a hunter and a monk is a bit of a joke, but I think it's a great way um, to describe what being a photographer can, is like. Uh, I'm, it's something that I wish I'd said myself. I think it's a great a great way um, to describe um, the practice. Because we are, I think it is important that we're not just, as photographers, we're not just casual fly on the walls, uh, no. waiting for something to happen. We, are, we, we go out into the world in pursuit of images too. We, we hope to come back at the end of the day with images, um, the kind of images that we're excited to get developed and scan. And mm. yeah, you use a Pentax 6-7 if I um, observed correctly. Um, yeah, so and you I'm know, a Mia you, seven, and I'm a Mia seven. So you, you know that excitement of going out like a hunter and gathering or drawing these images from a landscape from a place, and you obviously can't, you don't see them straight away, um, but there's an excitement, um, there's that anticipation of what do these. Um, or how are these images going to look? But at the same time, we might... Involves, it involves being open um, to 
we're we're allowing something to happen. I think that's what you mean by part hunter, part mm. monk. Uh, you're go you're you're allowing the the landscape to happen, and and that that means that you you have to be open and attentive. But neither are you completely in control of the way that the world is going to reveal itself. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great uh, yeah balance between at least uh, because in your in your everyday life, it, like saying this everyday situation here at home, uh, if I'm if I'm just it's it's also training you to to stop and and watch some watch things you know and and just like wow it's unbelievable shadow and light and it's the the, the feeling you know it's about emotions you know things can create create emotions like music when you listen to music you can start laughing or crying or it just brings memories it it can uh, i think especially photography can have the ability sometimes that's what i like so much about it it can uh, evoke um, smells. You know, you see a, a winter landscape, and and you, I get this feeling in my body. I know exactly the feeling of smell of snow. It mm-hmm. smells so good, you know, or or like a forest bottom uh, where there's a, the spring, and you you have the feeling of oh, it's the uh, the earth is like wet, and it smells. Uh, it's great. It's I love it. I feel the air, you know. So I mean, the, I think. Many art forms are beautiful when they transcend some others' emotions in us, you know, and that's so so nice. Yeah, yeah. I can't work out if you're just trying to um, please our audience or if you. <laughs> but no, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But no, I think I think that's a beautiful way to to put it. Um, you know, it's um, Yorma Purnan did that work, um, Imaginary Homecoming. Yeah, I have that book too. And um, I think it's, I think he wrote the text at the beginning too. And he has this uh, um, beautiful quote. If you, if you've, well, Joachim, you've seen the work. And yeah, if I have I, the book, but I can't remember. If the, our audience uh, aren't familiar with the work, it's not exactly um, traditional landscape photography. Um, he's installing. He's it's 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 all it's almost like landscape art in a way. He's making his own you, interventions uh, in you, the landscape. You, you know what it's about the book? Yeah, it's about yeah. displaced uh, Sami people. Yeah, yeah. They put on plexiglass. Yeah, yeah. From from library in Paris, mm-hmm. and then archive then imagery. Put, yeah, yeah. And then he installed it in the landscape and photographed these plexiglass portraits in situ uh, in the places where um, he assumed he assumed that uh, these individuals were once from um, before they were displaced by border treaties and other um, political and social pressures. And uh, and I'd love to talk to him about the challenges and the ethical. Um, demands of that project and the difficulties that he must have faced himself. But going back to that project, in the text, um, he says um, that, can't quite remember the quote, it's a beautiful quote, but that his pictures 
are made um, by letting his eye linger in the distance um, amidst the sound of the animals. And so mm-hmm. you said that photographs remind you of a smell um, or, you know, you recall a certain emotion. Well, for him, they, the, the senses are not just... It's not only we're not only using our visual senses when we photograph. We we have to open ourselves to the entire environment, and it's it's a way of photography. In that sense, is therefore a way of accessing a, the wider phenomenon of a landscape. Um, it's a way of being attentive to things that we might not have otherwise been. So, in that sense, the camera isn't necessarily a tool that divides us from what we're seeing, but can actually bring us closer to it mm. um, and unfold these layers of um, sensoriality, you know? Um, but I, before just before we started recording, I went uh, for a run and um, I was running through, I wasn't just running through um, the 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 forest i was running through smells yeah you know and you know so i think the camera really it allows it allows a heightened awareness of that environment um but uh i want to talk to you about uh your experience of finland before we finish Um, yeah so you ended up at alto by mistake well what is now called alto yeah you, you didn't go. You didn't. You didn't move to Finland to, to study there, originally. Yeah, I I I went to to make this book. You know, I went to study, but as a ghost student. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I I I came. I, I had that workshop. Then after two weeks, uh, I took the train from Denmark to Finland, and boat. And then I looked for uh, the art school and went, where's the script for cover line? She says, she's not here, but you can have a phone number. I called her and I said, hello, here's Joachim. Do you remember me from this Danish workshop? I am here to study photography. <laughs> I said, oh, 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 really? Yeah, she was a little bit surprised. And said, you can't just, uh, it doesn't work like this. And I, uh, I didn't tell her I'm going to come or anything. So she said, okay, take the train to, to Kirkonomi and Pekka Turunen and her were living at that time there. Mm-hmm. So then I, I helped actually Pekka and Esko, Manika, to print pictures. And then, um, yeah, anyway, I couldn't just arrive in. So I, I had another year where I traveled and took pictures and went to Scotland and all these many other places with bicycle, mostly with tent and bicycle, with large format camera. Wow. And um, then um, then the next year, this Jürgen Parantine said, okay, we can do it with Pentasamalati. And then I had this one-year ghost study and then I, I published I made this book and finished it and I thought this is it because they told you can't study there without this uh, gymnasium and these different things so they said like no you can go um, you you can apply if you want straight to the master art uh, and jump that bachelor 
I said, good. So I did that and I got in as directly as a master. No gymnasium, no bachelor. <laughs> that was kind of practical. So, yeah. So, and I had Jorma Purainen as teacher most of the time. And he was very nice. He simply said, just do your work. I give you points. What was so? What was he? What was he like as a teacher? Could you explain a bit more? He, I I like. He was very. I liked him very much. He was very. He he understood. I just need a working time. You know, I just need to. I mean, to get study money, you have to produce a certain amount of work that you, that some teacher can give you some points for. But maybe you need to take classes or you need to take everything. So basically, I, I went through it without really making classes. Mm -hmm. Because he was very nice to, to say, like, this is, um, this is um, like own, own uh, private work or what you call it. So you had Personal some, work. You had some great people on your side then, like supporting you from the very beginning. Yeah, I was really lucky, I think. I was also stupid. Because I should have taken many courses. I mean, how stupid can you be? You're in a school like that, and you are just thinking about doing your own projects. It was it was independent, you know. There yeah, was yeah. no classes, so oh, I really, you know, I I I, I didn't have to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. At that time, you 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 have to sign up for something you want to do. I didn't sign up, but uh, but, but yeah, you mean Yarma Purnan. He was in your corner. Yeah. I mean, he was helping you, can't, me. you can't really think of anyone um, better to encourage you, you know? Yeah, he's very, uh, I like him. He's, so, uh, he's good. And we become very good friends. I, I often call to him. He calls me as a... So he's been very influential as well. Not so much directly. Uh, he. We have a little bit... Um, I mean, you can. I, I once had a, a lecture about um, the lessons of different kind of photographers. Let's say, for example, the the lessons of Penti Samarati. It's like the lessons he has the um, the whistling philosophy. Like he's he's whistling. Um, he's very happy working. Like he's like in his darkroom printing and happy. That's how. That's the lesson I can learn from him. I, I would like to be like that. Mm -hmm. I'm. I at that early on. I was at least very serious. Maybe I have become a little bit more unserious nowadays, but I was very serious and hardworking, and uh, I was uh, taking, taking pain. I felt pain, you know. So, and and Jorma Purainen, the lesson of Jorma Purainen. It's like he's very inventive. You know he. He uh, keeps on changing technique. He keeps on changing. He always photo, uh, he always tells about uh, Lapland or Northern Finland, and his subject is the same. But he always does it from a new, photographically conceptual way. So he's he's a master of creating new concepts, new styles, new, you know. Your Mapurain and he, you know, each imaginary homecomers and this icy prospect, or he has made many projects you know, that they are radically different. Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever think you're just making the same kind of images? 
Do you ever get Do you well, ever get bored uh, of that? I very often. Or do you ever feel limited by that? Yeah, I very often think it's that's that's the end of me. You know, that's I, I'm inspiration gone. I can't make any work. It's I, uh, you know, it's like I, I have a crisis, you know, somehow. And and uh, but as you say, as you sit there with time, and and very often it's sometimes good to let it let let it be. You know, questionize yourself, and then you know, do you want to change? You know, do you want to be different? Do you want to do different? And then I look, I look carefully at, I make sketchbooks, for example, this homeworks, I've made many sketchbooks and I have an, uh, also one newer version now. And uh, so I look careful at that. And I ask myself, this exhibition I had in Denmark was also like a test. Is this now it? Is it finished? Or am I boiling soup? of the old socks all the time of this is it or am i inventing something amazing still so i'm still i'm st i'm still not there where i give up you know but i'm all the time questionizing and, and having studied um within the culture of alto university and being exposed to the works of photographers such as Jorma Purinen or Elena Berteris or Yurki uh, Parentinen, um, even Pekka Turinen, well, he's more of a traditional photographer, like me and, me and you, Pekka's quite mm. similar to me and you in that respect, but I do often think of, of the style that's often associated with the Helsinki School artists, and having studied there in the 90s, you are one of the early members of what has come to be known as the Helsinki School. Um, can you explain what that is for our audience? Uh, it's, 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 I mean, it came, it, came, it came because of, a, as far as I understood, there was a, a group exhibition in, in Sweden and, um, and the journalist, um, uh, was in, in her article, uh, writing about, uh, the Helsinki school as a, the, very practical. And so, um, I think that kind of uh, arise an idea. Ah, yeah, we can call it. Can be named like a Helsinki school, you know, like the Becker School or something in Germany. And um, I think everybody was kind of laughing at that time, you know. As first of all, I don't, I don't feel that there is a special. Um, I have only been in this school, so I, I cannot compare it. But I imagine that this school has no other specifics um you know it's it's a it's it's the the gallery who's promoting uh the thing it's a way of wrapping it it's a it's a wrapping paper but i how, how can you say that it? before you've said that it's uh, got more to do with marketing than anything yeah. else but i do think that there is there is a philosophy to it as somebody who's looking in on, from the outside i do think that there is a a philosophy to it. Um, you know, I'm very close to that, just the air of it. You know, I've breathed from the same air having studied at Alto. So, um, there is a, I can't, I, I don't know how to put my finger on it, but there is a kind of, there is a, there, there is an atmosphere to it. 
there is a way of perhaps that's if that's a way of working or a way of thinking. Um, many of the the photographers associated with it, for example, aren't traditional photographers, and you are perhaps one of the f- few members, if the only member, who is making work in a in that um, traditional sense, in that classic sense. Maybe Veli Lenkery also makes images in a similar style. But if if you if yeah. you if you could if you could, is there any way to describe it um, besides just being a way to package it, a way to package um, photographers? Because mm. it, it and it's also the vision of of uh, Timothy Persons as well. So is. It, Besides being his vision and besides being a way of packaging a certain group of photographers, how else could we define it? Well, I, I, I think with, uh, with, with, with Timothy, he, he, he's a gallerist and he's a, he's a uh, promoting and to creating and, and wrapping, he's wrapping it. But be underneath that, you know, there's people like Jorma Purainen. There's people like Penti Samalan, Timu Kelaranta. There are many different of these teachers and and system. As in generally, this frame, this uh, uh, support for Finnish photography, it's an organization called Frame. They already in the 70s gave working grant of one year working grant, three year working grant, fifteen working. So I think. The Helsinki School, if anything, it's a stru- it's a structure system that the state has built up to support the photographic arts history work. It's a it's the intellectual background, you know, the the whole way of structuring all the educational things has made this fruitful. And there's a lot of good compared to F- Denmark. You know, Finland has I don't know how many 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 more original interesting artist photographic artists who who are creating things and i don't think finnish people are any more talented than danish photographers i just think the structures are much much stronger and better to support this uh, you know so these people you know, many people if you don't have the chance and the possibility you won't you need a school you need some teachers you need you need some colleagues and schoolmates and you need all these kind of things. You need grants. You need you need museums. You know, even Finland has quite a few museums. They all even buy quite a lot of works. You know, so so the whole system from before you go there till you are in the school till after school and and how you can come back and teach and all this kind of stuff. It's it's maybe the Helsinki school mostly. Yeah, and it's been a significant part of your career to be associated with that group of photographers not really I, I would say I mean it's good it's uh, it's it, it hasn't influenced my photographic practice mm-hmm. I think it's it's not really maybe I have I'm friends with Becca and we travel together with Becca Turner mm-hmm. you know so I, I would more say that I've been influenced by personal people you know Pentis Amalanti, Pekka Turunen, Jorma Furainen. These are all people from that school. <laughs> Do you know Veli Tantu? 
No, but I like his work. Yeah, yeah. Filmmaker. Uh, he was... Billy Tantor. Billy Tantor. Uh, the film, uh, no, the don't... filmmaker. He's friends with Pekka. He also studied at Alto, I believe. Ah, uh, ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. He's, I don't a, he's know. a good friend of mine, yeah. But he, he was a lecturer of mine. Um, I met um, Pekka Turinen during a workshop called Into the Forest, where uh-huh. we went into... We stayed in the national park with the class for for um for a long weekend and Vili Tantu was the leader of that course and uh Pekka came for one or two one or two evenings and so that was when uh, I asked Pekka to to model for me. Uh-huh. And he came and yeah. brought his book and you know it I didn't know who Pekka was until really? Vili invited him. And yeah. he br- he'd brought his book just to show us what what his output was, was like and um you know, it's it's the kind of book that I didn't I didn't know anything about Pekka, but as soon as he brought out that book, I knew that this was a serious photographer. Um, immediately, I mean, the portraits in that book are are incredible. It's for, among the sorry best. Uh, yeah, it's it's a super. That book is a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. Against the wall for anyone who is still listening, and it's it's if I believe it, it's. Uh, it's a book made during road trips around the Finnish countryside. Well, he comes he comes from uh, Ilomansi, uh, this small places next to the Russian border, mm-hmm. and um, so against the wall is against the Russian wall, the border. So all the pictures are taken a- a- along the border of Russia because it's a great title. Because yeah. many of the portraits, ma- many of the images, are portraits taken yeah. against against the wall yeah yeah but no it's, it's a great title it's, and um, it's both of course yeah it's, it's always interesting how photographers title their books and that's also i mean we could have an entire conversation about that too how to how to come up with a, a good title yeah I'm, i i really uh it's so important it's such a big thing yeah yeah it, it's it's a yeah must be another time yeah yeah <laughs> but um before we go we've spoken a lot about your artistic practice and a question that I always want to know is how do you make a living from photography? Um, oh, I've got mosquitoes here. Um, um, yeah, it's like trying not to think about it. That's maybe the best advice, you know. I try you, not to think. Whenever I think about it, I get nervous. But do you have commissioned work? Yeah. Uh, maybe two times a year. All right. I I just I just made one and I came home one week ago. Uh, uh, that's why we couldn't talk at this time. Um, to photograph in, uh, you know that uh, Valdemir, that whale, the white whale. Yeah. Yeah. I I was supposed to photograph that. I did photograph it. It took ten days to find it. It was like a whale hunting. And, and who and so who commissioned that? Uh, New York Times. All right, and so you you do these kinds of jobs twice a year. I mean, I could do it. I would like to do it a little bit more, uh, but um, this was my second this year. Mm. So t- tell tell us tell us about the process of finding Valdemir the whale. Uh, you you know, so I I in this case I'm just a photographer being hired f- to go with the writer. Who who has 
investigated in this way. So I basically, I know nothing about this. And, but this was a challenge because I love my Pentax, but photographing a whale on a ship with pen, six by seven. So I, I actually thought uh, I have like kind of retro cam, digital camera I use just for retro stuff. So I thought, okay, my God, I take that camera with me just in case the whole ship is moving and I can't take a picture. So um, we flew to Oslo and uh, then the whale had left for Utebor. So we rented a car, drove to Utebor, and then we went out to the Apicalagos and the, there's an organization called One Whale trying to, to help this whale not to die. And, it's a too complex story to explain everything. Uh, but they are looking on social media where people tell, oh, we saw a white whale, you know, and then they know he's there. So we were all, all the time, one day after, half a day after. And and we were only supposed to be seven days away. And But then we prolonged it another day, another day. And in the end, they said, we've got we to gotta go. We can't, we can't continue. And then they said, um, He's 15 minutes north of your boat now. So we went up and suddenly the big whale come up to our boat. It's like I really got goose shivers when I finally saw that big so whale. You finally got the shot. We finally. And then we spent, uh, uh, one woman went in the wall and there was an accident with the boat five minutes after the whale was gone. And then we shouted to some boys who was in a little boat please could you follow that whale we jumped into their boat and there i took some pictures of these 14 15 years old boys looking like from another world and they are steering to the wall the whale goes to the side of those and it puts its wing up this this uh this tail this thing it has i don't know what it's called in english you know the they have some like arms kind of mm -hmm. The whale put its arms up and the boys put their arms down and they just touch each other. And I took a picture with my six by seven, the whole bloody thing was moving and I I was <laughs> like, <laughs> it was kind of amazing. Yeah, I, I, you know, these are this just kind of, I like this kind of things because you don't have to think about, you know, like homework, you know, it's 18 years. It's like uh, all kind of things. I'm into some kind of own kind of own structure, you know, thinking and doing and emotions and smells and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, then just jumping out and this like cookie, like drawing with cookie, you know, this fast drawing. Mm -hmm. you, you just make a fast drawing now. It's like fun. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're, you're shooting that commission with the medium format yeah and have you processed the images yet yeah they they that's they really worked yeah yeah what what's do you, you in your studio you have a scanner yeah yeah what scanner Imacorn. do you have uh it, it is imacorn 949 oh so yeah so the uh, flex tight yeah. yeah yeah it's a beautiful scanner that's on the that's on the list for sure um, do you, are you also living do you, uh, on on off grants? Do you apply for grants or? I uh, uh, yeah, but I have applied a working grant from Denmark now fourteen years. I haven't got any single one. Really? Yeah, and I have uh, I haven't got any grants the last fifteen years. Maybe. Uh, I'm I'm actually applying. I'm not very very rich guy, um, but I I seem 
the the thing that keep on going is picture sales from galleries. That's the main income for me. All right. You know, it's, it's a picture here, a picture there. I have a person's person's gallery in in Berlin, Polka Gallery in Paris, uh, Kent Gallery in in Copenhagen, and and Purdy Hicks in London. Mm. And um, some, you know, it's just like you you have to think like a fisherman. You know, many hooks in the water. Mm-hmm. A little bit galleries, a little bit a, a, a big hook for the galleries, a little bit assignment. I did uh, some four years teaching. Now it finished, one one month, one day a month. I was teaching. Where was that? In, Ber- in what? Where were you teaching? In in Ostkreuz in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to. You wouldn't want. You don't want to pursue a career in teaching, though. No, no, no not really. I would like to make workshops, one workshop every year, one week. That would be enough for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever need a collaborator, let me know because that's I have similar yeah. ideas. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In Scotland. Yeah, we could do a Scot- Scottish workshop. We can do a, 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 a two parts or Scottish and a, 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 a here by me. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that would be popular. I think. I think there are probably some listeners who would be interested in that. Good, they can sign up after now. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, that, that's the way to do it. I mean, if you ask me about money, you have to, when it goes, uh, when it just goes kind of okay, then I'm not thinking so much about it. Mm-hmm. But then when, when it's, I have too little money, then I start to uh, get panic and think about uh, whatever. But I, I, I'm, I'm always thinking about, I heard somewhere a person who said, if you earn uh, 10,000 euro a month and you uh, you spent 11,000, you're poor. Mm-hmm. But if you earn um, 2,000 euro and you um, you you spent 1,800, you're rich. So it's all about your your, your living cost. True. So that, that's how I really... Um, I focused a lot on putting the monthly stuff down to to as much as possible, so that you have uh, maximum freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, do you grow your free- own food? Yeah, I grow my own food. You know, uh, I build my own stuff. You know, and to to you know, to take, take your own uh, control kind of. So it uh, continues just as it begins. The lessons that you learned from your grandmother all those years ago. <laughs> that's true. Yes. No, really that's uh, my aim. You know, she really knew how to grow. She was, you know, she could feed many families, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I can hardly feed uh, one person here, but I'm learning. Yeah. Yeah. And you're still young. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. <laughs> but not getting any younger. <laughs> no, that, I, uh, <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, yeah. But on that note, perhaps we should um, wrap it up. Um, wrap it. It's been it's been great to talk with you, Joachim. Yeah, yeah. And yep. uh, I'm glad we finally got this opportunity to yeah to do this. We we must do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And uh, again, if you're ever looking for a collaborator, um, or if I'm ever looking for a collaborator, uh, I encourage you um, to keep me in mind and I'll keep you in mind. Please, please. Thank you again, Joachim. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Joachim Eskildsen, consider supporting the podcast on Patreon by following the link in the description. In the meantime, feel free to reach out to the podcast on Instagram at The Land Behind Podcast. I'd be very glad to hear your comments and your criticisms. Until next time, thank you for listening.